This is the Magellan Journal, a podcast series here to help you navigate EU opportunities. We remove the noise around current EU issues on different topics such as transport and environment, each time through the perspective of a different expert. This afternoon we talk to Steve Phillips, Secretary General at CEDAR, Conference of European Directors of Road, about the position of European road authorities during the Corona crisis and the rising importance of multimodal transport. Hi Steve, welcome to our podcast and first of all could you introduce yourself, your position and your association a bit? Sure, well thanks thanks for inviting me. So yeah, my name is Steve Phillips, I'm the Secretary General of CEDAR, which is the organization of the national road directors in Europe. So we represent uh, the directors and the national road administrations in Europe. And of course, CEDAR is one of the members of the TRA Management Committee, and we were uh, very heavily involved in the instigation of TRA back in uh, 2006, and of course have supported it ever since. Okay, what are the main uh, roles of, of CEDAR as association? So CEDAR provides a platform for the directors of the National Road Administrations and, and for their staff basically to exchange knowledge and develop common projects on a wide range of issues affecting road transport. So we have activities that go from connected automated driving, road safety, procurement, environment, a wide, as I say, a wide range of issues and supporting a lot of this, which of course is a strong connection with the TRA, is we also have our own research program where the National mm-hmm. Road Administrations pool their, their resources and, and, and we, you know, buy research to, to support the, the needs of, the, of, of the, the various National Road Administrations. Okay, thank you. So now on to some transport questions. Uh, during the COVID crisis, one of the biggest challenges was to keep the supply chain of goods moving. Can you tell us a bit more about the role freight transport played uh, in this crisis and, and is still playing potentially? Sure. I guess, I mean, first stage, I, I, I guess it's important to point out that the, the transport part and, and particularly the the road transport part of the supply chain, I think, performed very well. Um, indeed, as, as Professor Alan McKinnon recently wrote, you know, when people are talking about the challenges that face the, the logistics sector during this crisis, much of the challenges actually weren't on the logistics side uh, because they're very used to the challenges. Very much it was on the, on the question of, uh, of production and actually getting the goods. So in, in, in that sense, you know, on, on the roadside in, in, in terms of keeping the, the freight moving, I think we generally perform very well. Of course, the, the worsened bottlenecks on specific border crossings, particularly at the beginning of the crisis, but the road authorities working with all of the other authorities adapted fairly quickly to this. And overall, we, we performed quite well. Moreover, I mean, I mean if, if, if we compare how, how the performance actually happened compared with predictions and models that ran in advance of this, because, you know, there have been studies that looked at the expected impacts of pandemics on road transport one of the big challenges there, amongst others, was was the question of uh, you know major shortage of drivers, and we haven't seen that at the moment. So at the moment, you know, we, we could I think we could safely say that road transports perform better than the models uh, might have uh, suggested in 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 advance. Um, 
and on that basis, I think you know we have to be very, very grateful to the, the thousands of the truck drivers and others in the supply chains who kept our supermarkets, our hospitals, and other facilities uh, reasonably well stocked, you know, throughout the crisis so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the initiatives, I guess, related really to this crisis that that Cedar uh, took on is the green corridors uh, with priority lanes, which is mentioned. Uh, on your website. Uh, can you maybe tell us a bit more about this initiative? Yeah, the, the, the Green Corridors is the initiative that was uh, started by the European Commission or coordinated by the European Commission. But it's essentially what they refer to is, is how priority was given at certain border crossings for trucks. I'm, I'm sure many, many of you who've driven you know, across Europe in the past will have noticed that in certain places we isolate the passenger cars from the trucks. So, you know, in, in that sense, again, you know, there, there was some examples of this already that could be taken on and, and, and helped. Some of the other things which was less in the, the, the the hands of the road authorities, of course, is is the question of how the, uh, the paperwork and all of the other things for the goods was dealt with. But that certainly was a was another thing where a lot of work was done. Mm-hmm. And according to a Cedar study, uh, national road authorities are currently reporting much less passenger car traffic and with much more reduced congestion, except at a few national border crossings. You already mentioned this uh, earlier. Uh, that is one of the collateral consequences of the pandemic situation. And how do you envisage a return to a normal life where passenger cars are back on the roads? Will this involuntary but certainly positive impact be wasted? Or are we going to take it as a lesson learned and define new road policies? Well, uh, I think it's, it's, it's probably a bit too early to to understand what all of the lessons learned can be and therefore we have to be move forward cautiously we have to move forward but we have to move cautiously i guess i can i should start off by saying yes we, we can certainly say that whereas road freight transport pretty much stayed close to normal in most countries. There were indeed tremendous reductions in passenger car transport due to people not traveling to the office, people not traveling for leisure and other aspects. And we can already see that you know a lot of people have adapted fairly well to the more active modes of, of, of walking, of cycling, particularly if we look at you know the, the e-scooters and e-bikes as well have also had an impact. So on that basis we can already see how many authorities are accelerating the, the plans that they often they already had or or expanding the plans to better support these active modes. Uh, we, we're seeing a lot of uh, road space being given up to to cycling and, and to pedestrians. We're seeing uh, you know some some developments uh, in, in maybe better connections with passenger transport as well. But in terms of the longer term lessons that we can taken from this, it is going to be complicated because the economic consequences of this crisis are also going to be compounding the issue. A lot of people, unfortunately, have lost their their jobs. Uh, A lot of businesses have uh, ceased trading. And so as, as we move into the future, the businesses that are there will be reflecting on uh, you know where, how they can best adapt, how they how they can maybe can they invest, uh, and how can they support uh, the positive effects of of teleworking. We can certainly say teleworking has 
proved to be a success in many cases. People have embraced it. Uh, a lot of companies have adopted it very quickly, and we've seen the experiences of, of, of how previously companies which were very reluctant for various reasons to do teleworking, either because they thought it would uh, uh, affect the productivity or because they were worried about cybersecurity, that they've opened their systems, they've changed their ways of working, and they've proved, been proved to be very resilient. On the other hand, we've also got researchers who are cautioning that the, the CO2 of heating the house of a teleworker can sometimes exceed the CO2 of that person's journey to the office. So again, as we look forward to the models and the policies that we want to adopt afterwards, these are things that we would have to take, be taking into account and, and maybe they will not be the same in, in all regions and all parts of Europe. So we need to work on this. What also I think needs to be looked at is developing better synergies or ensuring synergies between the different urban, suburban and rural transport policies as we move forward. So whereas you know, the, 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 the denser urban areas have moved very, very quickly to adapting the active modes, the questions remain of how do the suburban and, and, and rural areas better connect into those and how do we ensure that uh, we have seamless transport throughout the system. And clearly that, you know, work needs to be done on that. So, you know, where the passenger car transport will play in that, and, and I think it's clear it will remain a very important part of that and, and how it is integrated into a more active uh, transport system will be very, very important to develop in the future. Okay, sure. you mentioned different active modes of transport. Uh, multimodal transport is a major part of EU policies and associated working programs in your opinion, where can maritime and rail transport better complement road transport? In particular, is it the case now during this period of crisis? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the, the approach of, of better integration between all of the modes will become even more important. But more generally, and I think before going on to the other modes of transport, there is also the question of how, as we plan our, our mobility system for the future, how do we take into account the questions of connectivity? And here I'm talking about IT and telecommunications, because they will be a much, much more integrated part of, of our system in the future. So as we are you know, planning the transport links and everything else, I think a lot of that will have to take then into account you know, what are the underlying telecoms aspects as well. Going back to, 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 to maritime, again, if, if we look not only at the, the recovery after the crisis, but the, the more longer term processes that we've had going on for a number of years. Clearly, we, we need to drive more coherence between the different transport modes. One of the things that I think would be very interesting, and this is where, again, going back to the TRA angle and, and its, its, its next edition in Lisbon, will be the maritime aspect. Because to a great extent, maritime has been un under-considered uh, a lot in many of the policies. You know, it's, it's, I think it's, it's, it's not really recognized with maritime delivering, you know, 30% of the ton kilometer freight transport within the EU. That is a, a substantial amount and, and you don't generally hear about it in, in, in those sense. And as we look forward, and I think you know, if, if we look at some of our longer distance transport routes, then maybe maritime 
could be much more integrated into those processes in the future. Uh, and, and I hope that this will come out as, as we move forward. As we also move forward, there is the, the question of rail. And quite rightly, I think there is a, a growing emphasis on what rail can do as we move move forward again it's it's not really recognized but at the moment if if we look at aviation you know aviation currently carries more international passengers within the eu than railways so that's why you know talking with our railway colleagues you know there is a lot of discussion well you know how can we move to a situation where much much more of, of the passenger transport is carried by by rail and we can see a lot of initiatives to move a, a, a lot uh, more towards this you know the higher speed rail and, and the more international rail transport including for example the the overnight trains which 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 would be i think a very good initiative mm-hmm. so all of these things i think you know would 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 help to serve much greater cohesion and i would say it has to be cohesion not competition between the different modes because the you know competition should be on the on the basis of the providers of this the end providers of the services not of the modes themselves you mentioned now the transport research arena the next one coming up in lisbon and you also we also talked before about how uh, it's still unclear how will our working life and leisure life change with using road and will people be using road so much to go to their work. Transport Research Arena conferences were the perfect networking environment where stakeholders from all transport modes join together and discuss the future and current trends. So in your opinion, what is going to happen in the following editions besides already the maritime that you mentioned that is going to be more the focus of the next one in Lisbon? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think there's a, a huge opportunities now for, for the TRA Transport Research Arena as we move forward. So if if we just go back go back to the, the road sector you know we we have a lot of activities on connected and automated driving on all the issues of connectivity huge improvements in in road safety opportunities in environment with decarbonization so there's a, a a lot of you know really really important topics which need to be debated uh, where agreements need to be made between the different stakeholders and really strong uh, research programs to put together to to guide the policies to drive the uh, the industrial development and 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 basically de- defining a lot of the, the future legislation in these areas now as i said that shouldn't go ahead just you know in a narrow modal sense this, this should be you know working with the other modes uh, so that we do develop this uh, uh, common systems approach and that's what TRA has, has always been about, you know, to, to get the different stakeholders together. Having said that, yes, we do need to look at, and I, I know a lot of conferences are, are thinking about this, you know, what, what is the, the, the future of conferences as we move forward? Because mm-hmm. people, are, people are not prepared, and I don't think they will be prepared in the future, to travel long distances, to stay overnight, just to sit in an audience and listen, mm-hmm. uh, to listen to someone's pre-prepared speech. You can do that. We've proved that you can do that very well over over a web conference now. So what's going to be really important, and I think this is this is what goes right to the core of what TRA is, because TRA has never tr- set out to be you know a, a, a one way preaching to the audience. It's always been about the arena part and working on a platform for engagement between the different stakeholders. So what I'm hoping what I, I certainly would be contributing towards the, the TRA in Lisbon will be putting much more emphasis on 
reaching concrete outputs, so, so driving dialogue to reach a concrete outputs, which may can be signed off for common roadmaps, common commitments, with all of the relevant stakeholders who are there. So to really go back, as I say, to, to the core of what TRA is supposed to be, which is an arena where we are driving the future prosperity of, of our transport sector. Okay, thank you. Well, my final question is a little bit uh, less uh, technical uh, and it's about mm-hmm. what was for you also personally or as Cedar, what were the main lessons learned from this COVID crisis uh, in terms of transport and mobility? I, I, th- I think for, for me, it's too early to say, as I say, what the, what the lessons we'll draw from this as, as, as Cedar. But for, for me, mm-hmm. and I think a number of my colleagues, what we've what we've experienced is after a number of years of, I would say, hesitation and concern about how fast society would adapt to new changes. And here I'm talking about things like the decarbonization. We've talked for for many, many years about how to encourage and drive decarbonization. And, you know, often this, this encounters, you know, uh, some societal pushback in, in, in various different forms. What we've seen through this crisis, in a way, is that society has embraced, or maybe been forced, to accept a lot of changes much, much more quickly than it would have had before mm-hmm. if we were just carrying on as normal. And then the question is, how can we avoid to fall back into the way we were before? How can we work with society uh, and in enable them to understand actually there are a lot of benefits we can take from this uh, and we don't have to fall back into the old ways of working that there are you know electrification of of, of vehicles the benefits of 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 connected and automated vehicles all of these things will uh, you know drive towards a much cleaner more prosperous and and hopefully you know cohesive society Uh, well steve thank you very much for answering these questions and i wish you a very nice day Thank you very much. All right. Good luck. Take care. If you like this podcast and want to know more about Magellan, check out our website at www.magellan-association.org.